isn't that what Vegas is about? Nuggets of joy. Golden nuggets. Golden Golden nuggets of joy. Welcome to No Show. I'm Jeff Borman, and this is Matt Brown. Today, we're talking about UX, user experience. Uh, The term's origins were mainly in graphic design uh, and display and the functionality of people interacting with machines, computers, internet, websites, and increasingly through their tablets and, of course, mobile phones now more than anything. Professionals designing websites hire user experience experts to ensure that navigating and interacting with websites serves people intuitively, so it's easy and natural for the human, while also accomplishing the company's commercial objective, which is probably to sell more stuff. Uh, And whether we're talking about car insurance or hotel rooms or home goods, the easier it is to transact, the more transactions there will be. I often, in fact, I complain in my private life that, you know, it takes three clicks to buy something and three hours to get a refund. And to me, that's an illustration of where corporate leadership told UX folks what to focus on. UX, though, is more than converting shoppers into buyers. It's a branding and sometimes experiential aspect to it. So if you book a Holiday Inn, it typically takes a five-step process with very little frill. And much like the hotel experience itself, it's about frictionless in-out. Get it done, no hassle, thanks, bye. And in contrast, shopping for a luxury resort is filled with galleries of expensively curated photos, vast display of dining options and water excursions. And the shopping mirrors the expectation that one would have when spending a week at a very high-end resort. So as the world becomes more fidgetal, a term I genuinely dislike, uh, the blending of the physical and digital worlds that we live in, UX is becoming a more common way of seeing the real world through the perspective that one used to reserve just for judging the digital world. And so today, I think we're going to bridge that gap a little bit and talk about the UX of Las Vegas. And Matt, you've recently written an article titled, What's the Current State of UX in the City that Defines Itself as an Experience? And so I want to start by asking what inspired this article. Uh, well, you're right, Jeff. I mean, UX it has has now kind of moved past the boundaries of just the design world, and uh, business people are using it for everything. What inspired this article was uh, a bit of news that came out recently. Hard Rock International announced that it will rebrand the Mirage Hotel and Casino in 2025. MGM Resorts will hand over operations to Hard Rock for about a billion and change uh, in cash, of course, because Vegas. And so this icon of the Las Vegas Strip uh, will be reshaped and rebranded and essentially no more. Steve Wynn's visionary hotel, it changed how America thought about and interacted with Las Vegas. It really did. But when that when that hotel opened in the late 80s, Vegas had been in a little bit of a, of a downturn. That hotel in particular uh, was emblematic of that friend, family-friendly era that essentially became the 90s for Vegas until it morphed into uh, what happens here stays here. The tide of hotels after the Mirage went up, Treasure Island, Bellagio, uh, also those are Wynn Hotels, the Luxor, Excalibur, and on and on and on. They created this wholly new user experience up and down the strip. And as marketing tools, you know, the volcanoes and the pirate ships and the operatic fountains, you know, they were designed at the time to stop pedestrian traffic and lure visitors Uh, inside via street spectacle. They were, in essence, billboards. And even if they didn't get pedestrians, they made for great news stories. They made for great visual assets that could get projected out into the world of why you come and visit Vegas. And for that time, design thinking was firmly geared towards outer appearances, interiors, 
of course, had kind of on-brand flourishes, but they were pretty standard in their revenue maximizing layouts. They had distinctive art installation in the lobby, have some blown glass here, some sculpture there, some art over here, plush carpets, leather sofas in the sports books, an outer ring of vaguely upscale restaurants, and of course, clear access to, to slots, ATMs, and theaters. Jeff, you and I have been to Vegas a lot through work. We've been there a lot together through work, and it all made sense, right? Floor plan is one of the things that really stood out to me most on my first visit. The casinos, the casino, whose hotels, that is, they make money on the casino floor. And major hotel brands that people know of, like rattle off all the big brands that come to mind right now, they really aren't present on the strip. The business models are so different, right? MGM and Caesars and Wynn, these are 5,000 room hotels that look at the hotel sleeping room as almost ancillary to the casino and the theater and the dining and all the stuff you just mentioned. Right? You try to get to a Marriott or a Hilton to comp your room. It's like constantly betting green in roulette all night. You're not gonna win. This is not in your favor, right? They're not gonna do it. It's not the way they operate. But just by playing roulette all night at a high-end casino, especially if you're losing, they will happily give you a free suite to keep your gambling right there with them going nowhere. And so the whole model of the business really shifts. I had a friend who worked at, in revenue management at MGM and once told me the casino operator held 10% of the whole inventory on any given night. For sure. And now here we are, you know, three plus decades after the Mirage opened and our collective sense of what makes a satisfying user experience is changing. That change can be hard for the gaming industry to see because it's made a lot of money offering essentially the same products and services for decades. The coat of paint changes, the names change. But you're still talking about the same faux exclusive clubs, the same Cirque du Soleil shows, the same upscale mini mall stores from the 90s. You know, a few years ago, Roger Thomas uh, had these ideas about what's called playground design. The theory was that if you feel like you're in a special place, you'll take more risks and be more open to paying for indulgences. And that, that in itself took a second for casinos to figure out, but they eventually started running with that theory. But the idea of what makes a playground has been changing in subtle ways recently. You know, the prop heavy street theater is out, interiors are in, come inside, see and spend within our walled garden. Why do you think Las Vegas has not embraced its Cosa Nostra roots? Some of the most synonymous images of Las Vegas are Moe Green taking one in the eye and, and, and Sharon Stone raiding the hotel vault in Casino. And like Vegas is the backdrop for so many iconic moments in film. Why isn't that part of the UX from the strip? I think it still is. I mean, we'll talk about nostalgia a little bit later. I think we're getting further from that identity. I mean, there definitely is probably still an underworld component there, but I think that underworld component looks very no, different no, than... it does not exist. We are on no <laughs> show. We are on the record for saying we do not think that happens. I think if you're a 30-something going to Vegas, I mean, you definitely still you know, appreciate the fact that there are movies made about this, but it does not hold the same kind of cultural cachet as it did maybe when you and I were growing up. And, you know, some of these people are still alive. You know, the inspiration for Hyman Roth in Godfather Part Two, that guy was still alive, you know, in, in the 70s and 80s. So I think there, it, it's just, it's lost a sense of currency and it feels maybe a little old. Vegas definitely does not stray from its nostalgia in other ways. 
Well, it's nostalgia, though, is Fremont Street, right? And Fremont Street, when you know, whether it was 98 or 99, the first time I went to Las Vegas, Fremont Street was still kind of a, oh, you really want to go there? And I think you used in your article the Brooklynization. Uh, and I loved that term. Uh, it, it reflects both you know, your neighborhood and the place you've spent time. So there's an intimate connection between you know, what you wrote and it. But the idea that old is good again, authenticity, there's something, there's something tangible to uh, this is real. I think maybe more than any other major American city, Vegas is constantly looking backward, promising I think this rose-tinted viewfinder of simple vices and personal freedoms. We used to call, you know, at the, at the height of the time that you and I would go there regularly, remember us calling it like a Soviet pleasure dome, because it gives you the illusion that you have this total freedom, but you are probably more watched there on camera by security than you are anywhere else in the world, including places like New York and DC, you know, and even now like the signage and branding callbacks are this trip through time. Sometimes those things, you know, will, will summon this sort of scruffy fear and loathing 1970s Vegas. You know, it's kind of divey. It's a little dangerous. Joe Pesci's looking around somewhere, but the design choices mainly reference a sort of 50s, 60s old Vegas, this old Vegas that promises no rules, cheap drinks, VIP service, Dean Martin on stage, big rooms, long nights. And the design of that looks great. It also promises that you're going to win and it promises that you're going to get a deal. And you look at a lot of the, the design uh, that, that's come into play over the even the last 10 years to generations that maybe don't have a connection to, to the 50s or 60s at all. They are now two generations removed from it. And that fantasy is up writ large everywhere. You know, Circa, which is the, the new hotel downtown, the first new hotel that, that's been built down there in 40 years. Its glittery logo is this ring-a-ding-ding, you know, 1957 cursive. Um, the new bronze S of the Sahara has a kind of an early 70s vibe. Uh, they're actually going to build a Fontainebleau Hotel. It's I think it's under construction right now. Famous hotel from Miami Beach. That is importing its kind of famous deco logo um, that that hotel has had forever. That's going to sit on the strip. And plus there's the signscape that's hung on from the original era that is being resurrected piece by piece by investors who want to repackage uh, Vegas nostalgia too. You know, it, it's an increasing part of the expected visual experience in Vegas that you are going to see part of the past. That's why you go there. I've always felt like the onslaught of the past is the point in Vegas. Urban design is time machine. Sounds like they're just trying to steal the thunder from Palm Springs, which is really retained uh, the we never changed part, even though that's not true, but that's kind of how they present themselves in Palm Springs, right? This is this is mid-century modern. It's untouched. It's pristine. You come see it. Look, but don't touch. For sure. What is the appeal of Fremont Street today versus 30 years ago then? I mean, it was dead 30 years ago. Steve Wynn's ma first major hotel was actually the Golden Nugget, and he kind of resurrected it before he, he went on to, to, do, um, to do Mirage. Uh, you know, Fremont, I remember driving down that thing with my parents. Uh, this is before they had the big kind of overarching uh, light show uh, above it. Uh, I think this was like the late 80s, early 90s. And it was okay. It was touristy, but, you know, a little bit, a little down at heel. I think what's come on uh, strong for Fremont Street, you know, you know there's a ton of development, redevelopment that, that occurred there uh, over the last 20 years, is that it is a contained city uh, and it is deeply walkable. 
Uh, and, you know, more and more and more of the strip, it, it becomes really difficult to get from hotel to hotel uh, by design because they don't want you to leave. But even if you decide, oh, okay, I'm going to walk out of Caesar's Palace and I'm going to walk up to, say, New York, New York at the MGM Grand, there's a ton of people, there's a ton of traffic. You are constantly going up and down uh, along the street. It does not make sense unless you are walking it at 5 a.m. to get anywhere. I think the people who reconstructed what Fremont Street is today took a look at where the country was going, what our expectations were going about what we want, not just in our in our daily lives. We want more walkable, more accessible, attainable things that we don't have to get in a car and go do all the time. Uh, but they they really treated Fremont Street as, as a mini city, and it really is. You know, it feels wholly separate from the strip itself. And you know, one of the big examples of that is Circa, the the new hotel that's been built there. It, it you know, as I mentioned earlier. You know, there hadn't been a hotel built since 1980 and, you know, Circa went up in 2020 and it absolutely aims to capitalize on that Brooklynization. Uh, you can walk out the front door and in five minutes you arrive at this resurgent redeveloped part of town with great bars, restaurants. There's no taxi lines. There's no hassle. And and in that hotel, you know, both the interior and uh, exterior feel way sleeker than all the neighboring hotels. You know, inside it's all clean lines and craft cocktails, and and you know, like Hollywood, Vegas loves visual cues to some of the past. So so in in the bar there, kind of the main bar area, there is the twenty five foot tall neon cowgirl Vegas Vicky who used to sit on Fremont Street. It was an icon uh, of the street from uh, good eras and bad eras in its past. And she's maybe the most representative that's kind of turned inward, you know, that we're not going to build a volcano for the for the tourist. We're going to build something inside that you have to come see. And it is so completely out of scale. And it is also so completely, totally Instagrammable. And I think they they realize that. The theme that you've, you're kind of laying out for me here is 30 years ago, Las Vegas built New York, New York. Like, come here and you can get New York and Paris and the Venetian. And it was the kind of the global greatest hits. Uh, and now they're finally saying, actually, you know, oh, wait, hold on. Las Vegas has uh, its own greatest hits version, but you have to go to this part of Las Vegas to find it. Can you look at a building when you describe what you see from the outside and the inside and how it pulls and works? Can you look at that from a UX perspective and know the research that, ha- that they've identified as a target audience and what they're trying to achieve, but just on what you see? I think what I am noticing is that Las Vegas, like America, occasionally struggles with the idea that larger does not equal better. And boutique is definitely a word that's moving cautiously, but surely into land developer speak in Nevada. I think there is a diminishing appetite there and in a lot of other places for these bloated one size fits all properties where, you know, the lines are long, the pools are crowded, the rooms are cookie cutter and leaving the property takes half an hour. The under construction dream hotel, I think is a sign of things to come. It's only 530 rooms and that is minuscule by traditional Vegas room counts. The MGM has, I think, something like 6,800 rooms. It's relatively isolated on the strip. It's up by the welcome to Las Vegas signs when you're coming out of Harry Reid Airport and you start seeing, you know, things like Mandalay Bay and very much removed from what has been the traditional heart of the strip. It's pitched very much as an oasis, millennial friendly, family neutral. It's attainable luxury uh, via credit card points. It is classy, not trashy. 
the shape of the building conveys something new. It's it's air and daylight, ease, refinement, chill. The marketing playbook uh, for this property could have been written by a pandemic era therapist. And I think the ground is shifting in other ways. Circa raised eyebrows when it committed to a 21 and over policy for entry, uh, as did its neighbor, the El Cortez, which is a true original and home of the 25 cent poker chip. I highly recommend that people go if they if uh, they head down there. And that very much alters the family, no family ratio at the hotels. I love families. I want them to enjoy themselves. But not having a resort that caters to the under 21 crowd, that influences everything. It influences floor layout, beverage offerings, noise pollution, room design, the bar and restaurant selection, everything. And Vegas hotels are also moving towards things like app-based solutions to help ease pain points. You know, I think forever you had to stand in a line, a relatively long line to get into a major hotel that you're spending a lot of money to stay in. And, you know, that was pain point number one. And that's changing. Resorts World visitors, that Resorts World is a brand new hotel, relatively new. It's opened up over the last year or so. It's actually got the Hyperloop <laughs> under it that connects to the Las Vegas Convention Center. Resorts World visitors can use the Hilton Honors app to check in and check out and make reservations, and it can function as your room key. Now, of course, that app collects a ton of behavioral data for the hotel, right? Naturally. But hey, you get bonus points. So, you know, whatever. Well, it all works out. The Cosmopolitan uh, down the street is making changes as well in the digital space. They are diving into AI. They have a thing called the Rose Digital Concierge Chatbot. Fancy name for like a little AI text assistant. And it's an it also an interesting example of oral design. Uh, you know, it's often described by media outlets as sassy. So guests can funnel a lot of their customer service requests, like give me extra pillows, give me reservations, help me skip lines to the bot. And I don't think it's going to be long before all the major properties there have done that. So Matt, with great pleasure, I get to ask you a question of the week. I'm so ready. Las Vegas is unique. I've been to Macau a number of times, and the gaming numbers in Macau are larger than Vegas. It's been that way for a few years. And a higher percent of visitors to Macau gamble, right? Uh, So the differences between the cities is about 75% of Macau visitors are there to gamble versus Las Vegas, which is about 10% less. But the real difference there is that it's not just a person gambled. It's that people go there to sit down and gamble. Whereas you get a lot of casual passing through the casino, I'll throw a hundred bucks and play for 20 minutes, kind of get my thrill and move on. You get a lot of that in Las Vegas. So Macau is a gambling centric hub and Las Vegas is a playground for adults. The user experience between the two, if you could design Macau with your love for Vegas, how would you approach Macau? Oh my God, Jeff, I have no idea. I love it. <laughs> I love this. it. <laughs> Do you find it enjoyable when you're there? Absolutely not. I, <laughs> no, no, I really don't. Uh, it, the, cas- the casino experience is much more like uh, you would get in old Fremont Street. It's not modern. Uh, no, I, sh- I shouldn't say that in total because it has changed dramatically in the decades since I was there. Okay. I'm going to take a stab in the dark here. And right. I want you to tell me if this idea holds any water. Okay. China's demographics and economics have changed radically over the last 30 years, duh. And there is a consumer class there that did not exist half a generation ago. 
And I don't know if that generation is going to be as drawn to Macau as the people who've been going there for the last 20 or 30 years. I think Macau, I can't believe I saved this answer. This is going to be great. I think the people who have gone to Macau are like, it. it it's like the argument that we're sort of making about Vegas. It's kind of, the, it's been the same product that's been offered for decades. And there hasn't been a lot of incentive to change because it's made a lot of money. I don't know five or 10 years from now, if that is where the growth is, if Macau wants to stay relevant and wants to evolve. Now, who knows, may not want to evolve. Vegas might, might not want to evolve. I could see them softening their approach to just gamble, 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 and trying to dip their toe a little bit more into the resort side and to appeal to families. Maybe they'll go through kind of the the circuit that Vegas has sort of gone through. Like every 10 years, we're going to start kind of reinventing this space so that it appeals to new audiences. And I wonder what the potential is there for things like, you know, these are kind of fantasies I've always had about Vegas. Like, what if they did this? It would work. And then I think you you tell me, no, Matt, they're never going to work. But things like, <laughs> what if there's like an art hotel? I remember the, you know, the Venetian had a Guggenheim Sure. You know, uh, for for a period of time, which failed, didn't work, (laughs) but it was a noble attempt. You know, what if they're like, like in Vegas, what what if there was an art hotel that was essentially like this collection of outposts of the world's great museums? So now we have Guggenheim, we have Tate, we have Musée d'Orsay, we have uh, MoMA, all kinds of MoMA. We have it's an art hotel. What if Mm -hmm. we had something that was a little bit more of like a, like a rustic lodge theme, sort of like a, like a Yosemite lodge, you know, see the, see the great outdoors type thing. What if we had, I think what, what has really come on um, like in Vegas and, and a lot of other casino resort spaces is chill vibes, yoga retreats, nice, fancy poolside chill Zen vibe. What do you think? Uh, So I think Macau is, unlike Las Vegas, limited by its geographic footprint. It is an island. It's about one third the size of Vegas. So it it has some limitations there. Uh, It also has a history uh, that goes back 400, 500 years to when it was a Portuguese trading outpost. And so there is some architectural integrity, but there's also, unlike Las Vegas, it's not just limitless expansion. I think the the real thing that comes to came to my mind as you were describing that is uh, Macau's not fun, and and I say that like it's not a fact that it's not fun. Sure, there's plenty of fun to be had. Las Vegas is fun first, right? Of whatever your flavor, Las Vegas has figured out the product, the marketing message, the hotel as you've gone through the UX is right there for whatever you decide fun is going to be for you. And Macau is work. It is a, it is a place where a gambler goes to beat the machine. And it's a very serious place. So Friday night on the floors uh, in Las Vegas, people are throwing dice at a craps table. You're screaming and you're buying drinks, free drinks everywhere. And it's the life of the party. And Macau if you're too loud, your fellow gamblers will give you a look that tells you you need to be quiet so we can concentrate. Oh boy, it's too, it's you know why it's so serious because it's a beating the machine is a doomed Sisyphean endeavor. They are <laughs> never going to beat the machine, and I think they I think on one level they have to know that, which is why there is a quiet solitude that envelops everyone. And with that, thank you very much, Matt Brown. 
I'll see you soon.